0: (laughs) you're not you're not even drinking like the toxic chemicals in a can
1: nope
0: i am i'm gonna have terrible nightmares tonight i had like the most i for every time i'm sick i'm reminded of why i can't take nyquil and then i forget about it until the next time i take nyquil and it's because it gives me like terrifying nightmares and they're super vivid And I like wake up, but I'm still dreaming, but I'm not, I'm like awake, but I'm not awake.
1: Like lucid dreaming? Yeah.
0: And I had this dream. Wow. That was, sorry if that was loud. Whew. I feel very, it's like very manic energy on this arm and this couch today. (laughs) Um, But I was, I was watching Below Deck while I was like sick, which I told you because it was like on my lap and I just kept falling asleep and waking up like two episodes later. And I had this dream that, like, one of the guys from below deck was, like, in my bed. And I didn't want him there. And I was trying to push his face away. And I was going, no! And I woke up, like, punching my wall next to my bed because I thought that there was a person there. But... (laughs) that part of my wall next to my bed has all my race medals on it oh my god so i wake myself up fully with this like horrible clanging sound of metal hitting metal and my (laughs) hand hitting the wall and me going (laughs)
1: uh did your cat like freak out no he was just
0: mad that i woke him up because he's not really a cat he's an alien That's,
1: that's true that's fair
0: he just like looked at me he's got those like bug eyes and he like squints them at me and he went (laughs) and then like laid down again and then i just watched more below Deck.
1: uh we are having a week here if you haven't noticed uh so welcome to the lake erie library i am beth and i'm britta
0: i got the black lung pop (laughs)
1: And uh, we are welcoming this fall season with uh, all of the illnesses and just anxiousness about illnesses, uh, among other things. This season's
0: got everything. It's got pumpkin spice. It's got anxiety. It's got Sunday scaries. It's got post-nasal drip.
1: (laughs) All together and just one big blender of mush. It's true. All right. So today, uh, we'd like you to join us on—we called our little Lake Erie book club. Um, we are going to discuss Grady Hendrix's *How to Sell a Haunted House*. When I was looking it up today, fun thing, because I'm sure it was because of catching like people's conversations. Um, and I talked to too many people who work for a living and they were like I just need to sell feet pictures so when I was googling how to sell that was the first thing that came up was how to sell feet pictures and I was like no google not today I will
0: answer you you can't the market is oversaturated <laughs> there's too many feet for sale out there <laughs>
1: sounds like we're talking about disembodied feet which is a whole other level of horror i mean
0: i'm sure that also exists probably (laughs) i don't ever want to find that part of the internet though
1: no that's too spooky hashtag too spooky hashtag
0: too spooky for
1: me all right so uh first i just want to say i really really enjoy grady hendrix um i think i have read all of his books minus Paperbacks from Hell, um, which is his nonfiction title. But this one. Uh,
0: Rank have, them because I have my ranking too. Oh.
1: <laughs> well, my favorite's always going to be My Best Friend's Exorcism. Like, hands down, that's my favorite. Uh, it just really, really stuck with me in a way that other books have. I'm not saying that his ones didn't, but like, it just really stuck with me and struck me in a way that I would I just I think about it. it there's scenes that live in that book that live rent free in my mind all the time.
0: It's got like super strong eighties vibes too, yes. which is one hundred percent Beth's brand.
1: Yes. Love that. Uh, I enjoyed the movie adaptation of that. Um I love who's uh, the guy that plays the like um yeah. the like
0: He's not like a youth pastor. He's in like the band.
1: Yeah. He's He's great. uh, He plays in Glow.
0: He's in Glow. I think he was also on...
1: He's in that new How I Met Your Father show with Hilary Duff, I think.
0: I might be confusing him with someone else, but I think he was also on one of the like private practice or something like that. Okay. Whatever the spinoff of Grey's Anatomy was. I didn't watch it enough
1: to know, but I think it's the same guy uh Grey's Anatomy's fan don't like come at us because I too, uh, one of my siblings actually watched like every episode of that, and I should be more up on it. But I I'm watched not.
0: the first several seasons, and then found out how terrible most of the cast is, and then didn't care anymore. And then watched a new season episode, and it is literally the same plotline as one of the episodes from like the first few seasons. So they are just plagiarizing themselves at Whoops. this point.
1: I- there's so many seasons that you might run out of medical like they've equipment. hit the
0: point of diminishing returns yes. like we're um, done
1: but I will say I did recently because it's spooky spooky movie season and we'll be talking about that in a future episode but I did recently watch a movie with McSteamy in it for like a hot minute and I was like I, how do I know this man that was in this movie for a mere five minutes, and then yeah. he dies. And then I went, oh, yeah, I remember seeing him on the cover of TV Guide. And That's then I went, oh, God, I'm so old. TV Guide still existed.
0: Eric Dane, right? Yeah, yeah. Eric Dane. My favorite Grady Hendrix is Horror Store, which was like the first one that I read of his. I,
1: it's also the first one I read. I do like that one. Um, I
0: often tell Beth that I hate when I am opening <laughs> at work because there's a a part of horror store where a girl like turns on the lights and there is like a creepy ghost another world person standing in the distance like staring at her and i always think that's going to happen when i open in the same, morning by myself same.
1: i yeah i like quickly turn on the lights at work and don't look like yeah. in areas by myself because i'm like no i've had i've actually had spooky things happen to me at uh, the library so I-,
0: I always hear people walking in like adult fiction mm-hmm. what used to be non-fiction and there's like nobody else there
1: I, I told you about the thing that happened to me right yes. yeah yeah I had a footstool move across the floor <laughs> which I know doesn't sound very <laughs> spooky but when you're by yourself in a building
0: <laughs> and when you know that like to move that footstool you have to Exert a certain amount of pressure on it that doesn't just happen by itself.
1: Yeah, it, I won't lie to you. I I was clenching a lot of body parts that nah. day <laughs> until until coworkers came in. I was just like, I'm so happy you're here.
0: I think Southern Book Club's guide is yes, probably my second favorite. Yes, same. The Southern same. Book Club's guide to slaying vampires. Yes,
1: it's. I I have described that book as if the movie Fright Night and um Southern southern uh southern living had like a baby or you put them in like a blender and you added like some like peach schnapps or something yeah and then some blood and then you blend it there that's that's and the some book. some ears and ears yeah Cause there's a lot of gross ear stuff there's, in that book yeah there is there's grady hendrix always has at least one scene in his books that's going to just like haunt you and your nightmares forever and then as i say you can't unread it like you now you it's in your imagination um yeah the one scene in my best friend's exorcism that i think about is way more horrible in my head than it was portrayed in the movie it was just
0: silly in the movie it was very
1: silly in the movie and in the book i'm like oh my god this is horrifying yeah um in the movie it's yeah it's a little silly um not, that's
0: like a that's like a a taste vomit sense southern book club is a audiological ear yes uh we'll get into what happens in this one horror story is just like there's just a lot of gross stuff in that one there's a
1: lot of gross stuff and and two like you really feel that for the main character in that book about the dredges of of retail and capitalism yeah for for those of you who don't know a very short synopsis of that is essentially it's set near Near Cleveland. Yeah, maybe we'll have to like cover this one later. And it's basically about like a haunted... Ikea. Ikea. <laughs> it's it's not an Ikea because uh, Cleveland can't have nice things, but uh, it's, it's essentially a, a haunted Ikea. true. So
0: much so that they made fun of it on 30 Rock with Jason Sudeikis when T- Tina Fey's character, when Liz Lemon came to Cleveland... And everyone was like, oh, my God, you're beautiful. Are you a supermodel? Are you a movie star? She's like, oh, my God, Cleveland is wonderful. I should stay here. And then she, like, breaks up with Jason Sudeikis. And she's like, I hope you never get an Ikea. (laughs) The good people of Cleveland deserve an Ikea. (laughs) But, yeah, those are, like, my top two. Uh, I really enjoyed Final Girl Support Group. I think that's my third. Then Best Friends Exorcism and then this and I haven't read We Sold Our Souls. We
1: Sold Our Souls is really good. Um, I actually just had my mom ask me because um, actually it's really funny. I have read all of Grady Hendrix's books. One of my siblings read them. They recommended it to my mother and now my mother is listening to all of them and then we realized afterwards like the things that my mom are afraid of are heavily like covered in a lot of these books and we're like sorry mom <laughs> oopsies uh, but I feel bad because it's been a while since I've read that one but I did thoroughly enjoy that one and that one's um about heavy metal and it's like a revenge plot and it's really good as well
0: yeah that's on my list
1: So there really hasn't been a Grady Hendrix book I haven't enjoyed. I really did enjoy The Final Girl Support Group. My only complaint of that book, and that's just of all books now, is uh, there's like five books in the horror thriller genre that have like the final girls in them. And I'm just like, so which one is that?
0: I just learned less when I was like taking notes for this that Grady Grady Hendrix actually finished The Final Girl Support Group like manuscript and tried to sell it but no one would buy it because it was right after Riley Sager announced that he was writing the The final Girls. girls and Grady Hendrix was like I'm so glad it didn't sell because I was really pushing this like ending for it and like trying to stick with it and it was like not a good ending and so it gave him time to rewrite it to be what actually got published excellent so excellent. it worked out that there were so many yes final Stephen, girls things. Stephen
1: Graham Jones also has a final girls book so it's just like I I appreciate the trope and like the playing on that trope and the playing within that trope and I would say out of all those books I feel like I have to be fair to see I haven't read the Stephen Graham Jones one but um with the Riley Sager one that one is like this could happen in real life right like there's nothing spooky whereas like the grady hendrix one is like no 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 these things are all like i am gonna pay homage to all your favorite slasher movies and i'm like thank you and it just i do feel like it does it justice yeah also silent night Night, thank you for paying such a major homage to that because like no one ever talks about that movie well, they do, but not like that. Maybe we'll talk about yeah. that
0: movie come Christmas time. Yes. But yeah, I you know, and there's always like kind of... There's like always a random element of whether it's intentional or not. Um, Grady Hendrix is from South Carolina. Yes. And his like sort of southern southernness will like peek through sometimes. And then other times it's like, this is
1: why I wrote this. Like yes. Like southern... He said that this book... So three of his books are set in this, uh, South Carolina town. Uh, he said this book, this how to sell a haunted house is the last book he'll be doing in essentially his hometown. But I do think it's kind of interesting. And, you know, I think that's just having read too much Stephen King. I'm like, are they all connected? Like, are these all happening down the street from one another? Um, especially, 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 uh, my best friend's exorcism and like the southern book club's guide to slaying vampires i'm like oh yeah those had to have happened in like the same neighborhood and it's just a spooky neighborhood.
0: I, I gotta feel like i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm i'm supposing too much here i gotta feel like grady hendrix would be like man fuck stephen king's world like it doesn't all have to be connected he's yeah. delightfully unhinged i i attended during like the covid shutdown Um, a friend of mine who actually works at a public library in Pennsylvania managed to get Grady to do a stop on his like welcome to the final girl support group tour that he did via zoom at their library so I attended it Um, it's really great he really does like a deep dive into final girls and horror movies and when he ended it he just randomly started singing this song at the end with no like there's no intro you don't know what's happening he literally like took a drink of like whatever he was drinking out of his mug and then started singing and then just noped the f out like he just ended his end of the call (laughs) as soon as he was done singing and i'm gonna like i have to like show this to beth so i i don't want to play it on the podcast because i don't want grady hendrix to sue me so um please hold Just nopes out of the Zoom and like he didn't even thank us on the one I was on. He just hit end call and was gone.
1: Honestly, though, like what a good way to end a Zoom call because then you're not stuck with that weird lingering of like, bye, bye. Like that was the worst part of dealing with like shutdowns and stuff like that where all the Zoom calls and then like, why don't you have your camera on? I'm like, because I don't. I don't want to. Because I don't want you to know what my house looks like, Susan. And then, I just want to see your face. I'm like, you don't need to, though. I look like a hobgoblin right now. I got no makeup on. (laughs) I just, yeah. So he, like, he says
0: this beautifully eloquent thing about we don't watch horror movies to see people die. We watch horror movies to see them live and like you get goosebumps and then he starts singing this like yuckity yuckity get the like hook and pull me off the stage vaudeville you're gonna die song so i love that he's just a wackadoo (laughs) yeah
1: he when people ask me for horror book recommendations and like new new horror he is always like my first go-to author so this this is a little bit of a love letter to you and grady hendrix if you hear this you know we wouldn't be mad if you were like hey i want to talk to you guys on your podcast
0: we're also remember we're poor though yeah our wealthy benefactor is not that wealthy
1: no so if you wanted to do it as like a thank you or just shout us out on any social media we'd be really happy about that too yeah
0: and now I'm going to immediately criticize something about your book, Grady Hendrix. It's nothing to do with you, because I know you probably don't actually have any say over this, but it really bothers me that the books on the covers of this don't look anything like what I pictured the house looking like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that, too, because I picking up this book, I'm like, this is like the books. It's supposed to be a ranch house. And yeah. this is not a ranch house. But then I the also cover. picture
0: like Aunt Honey's house looks it has like the creosote. Mm -hmm. like pilings underneath it so I'm picturing these like Isle of Palms South Carolina houses that are like raised above the water right because of like high tides and flooding and things like that and hurricanes and then like
1: it looks like a dollhouse actually I, I assumed it was like a dollhouse but then I was like hmm
0: but then like the other there's like another cover too and that's also like a it, that one doesn't look as much like a dollhouse as the one we have. This one is like against a floorboard, so it it's clearly meant to be a dollhouse. But I was just like, oh, just let me see the accurate portrayal of the house, please.
1: For you, dear listeners, uh, for those of you who are like, all right, you guys have literally just been not talking about anything really book related yet. We are about to dive in. And so if you have not read this book and you really want to read it, stop listening now just skip this episode come back listen to it after you've read the book or if you're like we just like Beth and Britta carry on
0: yeah we'll try not to um get as like plot point by plot point as we did with different seasons this will be more like a actual book club kind of discussion mm-hmm. as we go through before we even get into the book did you read the dedication in the front of it it's Amanda, you're with me everywhere. I see you where I go. You surround me always, even though I know exactly where I buried you.
1: Um, so I will say first, this was published in January of twenty of this year, 2023. I was very tickled by this because one, January doesn't get a lot of good horror stuff. Like, But this also came right around my birthday. So it's a Capricorn yay fellow Capricorn book I bought this in January it was a birthday present to myself but I really waited to read it because I knew with it being a Grady Hendrix book that I was just going to fly through it and I think because I did follow I do follow Grady Hendrix on different social media that I was like all right so I think there's like some toys in it or dolls or something. I'm like, I'm just going to go into really blind and it's, a, it's about a haunted house. That's all I need to know. It's really all I need to know. I don't need to know why this is haunted, how this is haunted, the premise of why they're going into the house. I just need to know the title and it's Grady Hendrix and I'm just going to go in blind. Well, that's not true. I didn't go in completely blind because my sibling was listening to this on audiobook and they got to a very scary part which we will talk about in a little bit and because they were listening to it you can't fast forward audiobooks the same way you can flip through pages and so they were like I need help Beth (laughs) at what point is this uh is this chapter like when when is this done? And so I did flip through. I was like, what, what chapter are you on? Okay. So I flipped through and I was like, okay, by this next chapter, the scary part's over. They're in a Waffle House. It's A-okay.
0: I often split when I'm reading. Right now, especially, I mostly consume books via audiobook because that's the only time I have <laughs> that I can do that. I am in school. I work. We record podcasts one day a week on what is my only day off. So I don't really get a lot of time to just like chill and read. I am in my car a lot. like I spend about eight or nine hours a week just driving. So that's like an audiobook right there. right. Um, so I, re- I remember I, s- I was splitting this between the audiobook and the hard copy of it. I don't think I, I think I turned off the audiobook and just like read that part because for, it was easier for me to pace it, but I've had that happen most recently when I was listening to Gerald's Game yes, and I was trapped yes. in my car and I couldn't like flip through the audio because I was driving and I just had to listen to this really awful, disturbing, terrifying part of Gerald's Game and I told Beth I was just driving and like screaming as I was driving, like white knuckling the steering wheel, shrieking as I was driving down a major highway in, in Ohio until it was over. <laughs> Because I was trapped in my car with it. So I understand that feeling. It's really funny that you said this book is a Capricorn because it's a very Capricorn thing that it is organized in sections according to the Kuba Ross model of stages of grief. So it's like denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Yes. That feels very Capricornian.
1: (laughs) You know what? I would agree. I'm all about compartmentalization of feelings and going into this book, like, yeah, this this book is about ghosts and it is about terrifying things and spooky, very spooky things in houses. But it's it's also about grief. Like it's very much about grief. That's the heart of this book. Yeah. So going into it, because as I was reading it, um, I, I too was pacing it, but I would read it at night after um my tater tot would go to sleep and I would be just up reading it and I was the only one awake at night and so I would be coming to work the next day and I'm like oh, I had to stop reading it it was too scary it was too scary to read by myself in the house with you know all my all my tater tots toys scattered around <laughs> It was like too, too scary too scary so let's get into like a brief just a brief synopsis of the plot so it it is about this family um that have a house in south carolina um the daughter it's a a mom a dad and then a brother and a sister yes and the brother is younger than the sister the brother's named mark the sister's named louise and um louise lives on the west coast in san diego
0: uh, possibly.
1: Or San Francisco. She lives, she uh, lives
0: on the West I want to say maybe San Francisco. Sa- San
1: Francisco. She has a daughter. And she gets a phone call that from her brother. And it's like a really weird disjointed phone call that her parents have died tragically. Both her parents died in a car accident. And she needs to get to South Carolina to get there for the funeral and also to like take care of the arrangements, essentially, for her family. She takes her daughter to um, her ex. I won't call him husband. But yeah,
0: they weren't, like, ever really together. I think he, like, proposed and she said no and then she found out she was pregnant. That's, like, in the little starting section before yeah. it gets into, the, into denial. And that's really, that whole section sort of sets up, like, the family dynamic of how Her mom and dad, like, she... It makes a point of saying, like, she thought they were going to take it badly, so she called them on the phone, and her mom and dad, like, rush out to San Francisco to be with her when they find out that she's pregnant, and are, like, complaining about, like, whatever Mark's latest F-up is. And so you're, like, right away seeing, like, how one sibling gets favored in certain situations. Right. Which... Is really a huge part of their relationship going through the book. Yes, very much Um, so. But yeah, so she's... It is San Francisco. Okay.
1: So she flies back and um, immediately the thing that we are... We as readers are presented with is she goes into the house and it's... You find out that her mom makes puppets that she has a christian puppet ministry and makes puppets but then you also find out she also has a bunch of like dolls and like weird crafts and it sounds like a nightmare walking into this house um
0: yeah the the one like they go into all the dolls have names all the puppets have names and they're like exactly what it's like mr fluffer butter and busy bottoms and stuff like that but then there's like the Mark and Louise dolls, like there's dolls named after the children and both kids like always hated them and Mm -hmm. were freaked out by them. And I hate them too because they remind me of these two dolls that my mom had that were meant they're like toddler sized dolls. Right. And they are meant to be like stood against a wall or in a corner and they look like a little kid like like pouting with with their arms crossed pouting with their like facing the wall. And I would always forget that we had them in our basement and then I would go downstairs and turn on the light and see this, like, child pouting
1: and freak out. So I will say as a quick aside, this book really, to me, is, like, such a millennial horror book. And I mean this in, like, the most loving way because I really feel like the generation of millennials in particular, like, we grew up... We grew up with a lot of dolls but we grew up also with like dolls and horror as well so like we always had that kind of perpetual fear of dolls especially big porcelain-esque dolls and like puppets so like I just think like my grandma bought all of me and my siblings like porcelain dolls and like you know porcelain like it's like it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle commitment you have to clean these dolls like they gather dust you can't play with them so as a kid you're just like what's the point what is the point of having this doll if I can't play with it you just collect them and then they all have these glass eyes that don't move which is very freaky for children but then on top of all that you have coming in the late 80s into 90s you have child's play Hmm. and like I always tell everybody like Child's Play was my least favorite like I did not sit and watch Child's Play until I was 16 years old because I saw that accidentally during nap time like I woke mm. up from a nap mom was watching it on tv and the part of the movie that I woke up to is when like chucky comes to life and he's attacking the mother and that just blew my little five-year-old mind because i'm just like dolls (laughs) coming to life and and not just coming to life but being bad yeah and evil and like doing bad things to people like biting them and like attacking them so then you have that like distrust of a toy you know like this was pre I I saw that before Toy Story where yeah. toys were like good but even then there's still that like weird horror element in Toy Story where it you go to Sid's house and all the toys are mangled it probably didn't help that like at the age you were probably
0: like as a child seeing that was also the height of my buddy and kid sister dolls yes. <laughs> which are like yes. bigger than normal dolls yes very so. much so
1: Though I did want like a life-size Barbie, but I was always way taller than a life-size yeah. Barbie. So I was like, this will never work. You're like, it's cool. I can
0: take her. <laughs> so I only had, I think I had a Cabbage Patch doll. Her name was Elaine. She had red hair. Big surprise that Britta's obsessed with redheads. <laughs> but that was like the the one doll that I liked that I had and then I had like this other baby doll that was really old I don't know if I got it from a cousin or like a garage sale I got a lot of my toys from garage sales growing up but it was one of those baby dolls that had the like weighted eyes so yes. like, they would open and yes. close and it, the one was messed up so it was like always like like flapping <laughs> like she was kind of like constantly like a little bit drunk looking because one eye would be closed <laughs> and the other would be open and <coughs> then it would like just sort of slit open and I like chewed her fingers off so she had like nubbins she had like nubbin fingers and I used to push her around in a plastic shopping cart while my dad cut the grass when I was like a toddler so So.
1: but you know I just really feel like like we as a generation just did not have the same emotional attachment to like porcelain dolls and like oh puppets are delightful um like in Gone Girl, well, they have that subplot with the the weird, creepy puppets. Yeah, I mean,
0: I do have a fondness for puppets. Like, I'm a big Jim Henson's Creature Workshop oh, those type are puppet. Those are different. Um, and like by extension, I have also been like a professional mascot multiple times in my life and costume character, which I feel like goes hand in hand with like puppetry in the sense that, um. If you don't constantly keep moving to give a semblance of life, it's terrifying. So I I do enjoy puppets. My high school boyfriend has kind of made a career out of <laughs> puppetry. Good for him. I don't know if you listen to this, but if you do, good for you. Proud of you. The <laughs> stuff you make is really cool. Um, but, yeah, so I... <sighs> I do kind of have a thing for puppets. I mean, like one of my side gigs uses a lot of puppets. That's true. So that part didn't get to me as much. But I mean, also when you're constantly around something, also you become a little desensitized to it. So then reading this, I was like, do I need to be worried about um, the like monkey secret agent that I work with on the side or are we good? I don't know. So, yeah,
1: She, she gets to the house immediately sees all these like creepy dolls slash puppets and is like okay these have to go but then like from the get-go from the jump weird stuff starts happening so like the tv turns on by itself she thinks that she's seeing things move kind of out of the corner of her eye and then her then she finally does see her brother and they He just wants to, like, throw everything away. He honestly would have been smart to do that. Wants to throw immediately everything away and just sell the house and get it done and over with. She, on the other hand, Louise is grieving over the loss of both of her parents who, like, died in this very tragic car accident. But she also thinks that there's something very amiss with the house.
0: She also, when she came in, I'm trying to find the section of, like, when she comes into the house... I mean, the way her parents die, it is not like a, it's not like an, ill it's an accident. They die in a car accident. And um, who got the phone call? Is it Aunt Honey or Aunt Gail that gets the phone call saying that she has to take Eric to the hospital because he was attacked?
1: I think it was Aunt... Gail. well it's like later in the book we'll find
0: it so there is a car accident both the parents die in that and so it's clear that they were rushing from the house and what is implied is that something happened to eric the dad and uh nancy the mom had to take him to the hospital so they're kind of assuming like oh like it's not he was attacked he had an attack like maybe he had a heart attack and she was taking him to the hospital but they rush out and so when she goes in the house she finds like her dad's cane because he had hurt his ankle she finds like a random hammer
1: right in the hallway
0: (laughs) and then like stuff has been knocked over as well and then like the tv's on and then like her dad always sat in one chair and there's like dolls sitting in the chair which is not normal and so it's that sense of like it's not quite what is the opposite of deja vu Ja, jamais vu, oh, yes. where it's, like, something that's so normal to you suddenly seems wrong, like, when you write cake and then you're like, is cake even a word? That's not a word. That's not how you spell that. Right. I've written it a thousand times, but now I don't trust myself. It's, like, kind of that feeling of, like, there's just something not right about n- normal right now on top of these random things that I found.
1: But, unfortunately... She has such a tumultuous relationship with her brother that when her brother comes, like, immediately Luis is, like, in opposition to him. And so even though, like, he went about telling her that their parents died in a very terrible way. Like, she was like, it was, you know, and she had to grapple with that. She's, like, not ready to accept that they died. And he is, like, at a different level of, like, no, let's get this done And so they like essentially are fighting over that in front of the the dumpster. A gutter's
0: clutter. The gutter's clutter.
1: (laughs) She essentially gets the one up. She one ups her brother. And she, uh, and they haven't read the will or anything at at this point. So she's like, oh, well, I'm like, like the executor of the estate, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, when that does come to pass, when they do finally go through the funeral and stuff like that, um, she finds out that she's not the executor. Yeah.
0: I have, like, some stuff to say before
1: yeah. we get to that yeah, point. Do you want okay. me to stop or do you want to? No, wanna, go Okay.
0: Ahead. So, she, yeah, she, as Beth said, she gets the kind of one-up on uh, Mark and gets in the, like, car and drives away. And she ends up at her, um, she's, like, with her cousins. I think they're at, are they at Aunt Honey's house at that point? Yes. So Aunt Honey is um, Nancy, Louise and Mark's mom's, aunt so she's louise and mark's great aunt yes and then her daughter is aunt gail aunt gail has two daughters constance and mercy and then constance is married to brody
1: yes and he's uh
0: he's a lawyer who then it turns out was like nancy and eric's lawyer and like handled their will and everything um, so I think that is like most of the characters. Louise's daughter is named Poppy, and Ian is Poppy's father. And while Louise is here taking care of this stuff, um, Poppy is with Ian and his parents at like their mountain house as like a little vacation type thing. And so like they get to Aunt Honey's house, and I <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about Aunt Honey. We'll get into that later.
1: <laughs> I I do feel this book does such a good job of of generational trauma of of exploring generational trauma of exploring kind of that southern or and it feels the same thing as like midwest that it's that generational hospitality of like we don't talk about upsetting things
0: but what kills me is she she is like telling them about mark being like a dick about the house right and constance is like what a raging a-hole and aunt gail goes language and then aunt honey goes this is my house and i don't want anyone calling anyone else an a-hole when what they mean to say is asshole this includes you gail say what you mean or get out and they're like yeah mark's an asshole
1: it's just like yeah the the
0: and we describe her as like she's She'd outlived her entire generation and showed no signs of slowing down. She still dyed her hair blonde, and every morning she put on full makeup. She wore a ring on every finger, even though she had to rub her swollen knuckles with Vaseline to slide them on.
1: So, yeah, she's like a human
0: embodiment of, bless
1: your heart. <laughs> yes, I yes, and that's, as I said, like, it paints such a, this, this book paints such a vivid picture of these characters, and just, but it's like, you probably have a Midwest equivalent of an Aunt Honey in your life. Like, I know I do. Like, I, I was like, oh, yes, I know that relative.
0: Yeah, and so uh, this is – she's kind of explaining what happened with um, – at Mark at the house, and they get into this whole, like – Aunt Honey gets, like, upset because they're talking about, well, what are you going to do? Like, where are they going to be buried? Well, I think we're going to have them cremated and then scatter their remains – and Aunt Honey gets, like, immediately pissed off about it because they're, like, we're going to, like, scatter their ashes in on the beach or something like that. And uh, I think maybe that's, like, Mark's idea is that he had them cremated without telling Louise. And he's, like, oh, I'm going to spread their ashes in the ocean so they can be, like, one with nature. Because he's just kind of one of those people who floats through life and tries on a bunch of different personalities and, like, none of them fit. And he just keeps like jumping to something new constance is like who ever heard of people scattering your parents ashes on the beach people swim in that water and aunt honey's like children tt in that water (laughs) fish dogs it's a toilet bowl (laughs) and then she's like the one blessing in all this mess is that your mother's finally with freddie which is nancy's brother who died very young and they just don't talk about what happened to him and that was just always a thing about their mom that louise and mark knew is that nancy just didn't they don't talk about Freddie. we don't talk about Freddie, like you know so (laughs) it it's like that generation of we don't talk about unpleasant things as beth was mentioning
1: right so from there they they get to the funeral mark is the one that threw it together it and it was a lot of back and forth of getting letting mark throw it together and understandably so you realize that Louise is like the more responsible sibling of the two and that she should be the one like kind of handling stuff and she's used to being the one to handling stuff like she's the older sibling like she fits that type a personality archetype to a T and Mark is like you haven't been here so I I, I'm doing all this stuff I'm the one that's been around mom like you don't ever talk to her and so it's a lot of like their dynamic back and forth and she eventually kinda concedes and let him like she feels bad.
0: Yeah, she feels like she's throwing him a bone by letting him take charge over something.
1: And so she lets him do the
0: funeral. Which wow, what a mistake. Yeah. And this <laughs> Well, maybe not. I maybe Nancy would have really enjoyed uh, it.
1: <laughs> he invites her fellow puppeteers to this funeral and it's like a puppetry funeral yeah
0: he said it would be like jim henson's funeral which have you ever watched his memorial service it's on youtube i watch it sometimes when i just need to cry (laughs) um i was like four when jim henson died so i like kind of remember it but i also was four so i didn't totally understand what it meant right but like like big bird comes out and sings and at the end he looks up and he says thank you kermit and i like lose it every time and like frank oz tells this story about how one time jim henson just randomly before they did like the show was like i need to take a picture of you naked and he was like what (laughs) and he's like i need to take a picture of you naked and like you need to cover your genitals and make a surprised face and he was like okay And they did and then they just did like the Muppet show like it was no big deal and then months later for Christmas Jim Henson gave him this like bust of Bert because Frank Oz voiced Bert and Jim Henson voiced Ernie and it's like Bert holding the shelf of little tiny Berts and they're all like looking in different directions and then there's like pictures behind them of all of the like workshop people who worked on like Bert and then Inside Bert's eyes are that picture of Frank, like, surprised and covering himself, and it's, like, Bert what? with self-introspection, which is, like, what a wild story to tell about your friend at his funeral, but also, like, how beautiful that, like, you had this ridiculously silly friendship with someone you were so close with. Yes. that you, And then he, like, he gets, like, really choked up at the end of it and just, like, walks away because he can't talk anymore. So it's, if you need a good cry... <laughs> it's like two hours (laughs) it's on youtube they play rainbow connection which i can't listen to that song because it makes me weep every time but yeah they're like all of their friends like the first thing they describe is like a random like pink feathered ostrich that's like walking so i'm picturing those like the cross stick like marionettes that were Mm -hmm. big when we were in elementary school yes where it's like the legs get manipulated and the head gets manipulated and they maybe don't have any arms And everybody's got like puppets on their hands, and they're talking. The puppets are talking to each other, and everyone's just acting like it's the most normal thing ever. And I think Mark sings Rainbow Connection, and then in the middle of it is like Kazoos only, and everyone pulls out (laughs) Kazoos and finishes the song.
1: So. Yeah, I just want you guys, and, and of course, afterwards, because they're Southern, they're like, we have to have like an after party, essentially, and they're having it at Aunt Honey's house, and that's also where the reading of the will is going to be. The big twist in this, it, from, from your perspective, because you're in Louise's, essentially, perspective, is that... After kind of the charade of this funeral, which is so kind of out there and ridiculous. And it feels like it wouldn't be respectful. But Mark's like, this is what mom would have wanted. And
0: it's what everybody at the funeral says, too. They're like, Mark, like, you just was beautiful. This is really, like, who your mother
1: was. And this was a
0: wonderful testament to her memory.
1: Right. And Louise is like, what? This is... No. Like, this isn't my mother. And it's just... That's also, like... Grady Hendrix is doing a great job in this book of like explaining kind of relationships of like you know your parent one way but other adults and other people have relationships outside of you to like your mom is not just your mom your mom is like a whole adult human with like wants and desires and like has done stuff like actions with consequences and stuff that are in no way shape or form related to you as a person
0: yeah it's also really he really nails like the sibling dynamic in this book because as they're reading the will initially like her i I think it's like her her father's will leaves everything to louise and so he's like okay technically like louise gets everything And Mark is immediately pissed and is like, how is that fair? I'm going to get a lawyer and, like, sue you for this. Right. Which is, like, such a... I understand it. He's also grieving. But it's such a nasty thing to do at the reading of your parents' will. Right. And then Brody hits them with this other thing where it's like, well, here's the thing. If your mom died first, like, you would get everything because... It would go to your dad, and then your dad left it to you. But if your dad died first, everything got left to your mom, and then she left everything to Mark. Right. And so he tells them that according to the accident report, her mom's time of death came after her
1: dad's. And it's like by mere minutes. Yeah. Like it's it's it is not something that should be so like important. But it is, like, terribly important. Yeah. His
0: exact phrasing is, like, I'm sorry to sound a bit ghoulish, but sometimes the law requires that we be precise. And so her dad had already died as a result of the accident. And then when, like, the EMTs were at the emergency site, her mom was still alive and she died on the way to the hospital. So then, like, immediately mark is like shouting like yes and like jumping in the air and he's like okay like how he's much do you think i could such get a
1: jerk about it <laughs> like, like
0: i'm gonna inventory the estate like how much do you think it's worth like how how much do you think i could get out of the house and all the stuff in it and he's like doing an end zone dance I'm, like what a turd
1: yeah so then you have kind of moving through the book they eventually are like okay well we have to like Louise is devastated like she goes home and she cries because she was like she had thought with at least with the passing of her parents that she could save money for her child Poppy and now she's like I'm not going to get anything so she's like trying again with the sibling dynamic she tries to she actually is left something in the will she is left Her mom's puppets, essentially. Her mom's art is the way it is phrased.
0: So that includes all the puppets that she made. Um, She also, like, has some weird, like, taxidermied animals. Like, there's a family of squirrels that she taxidermied that have, like, never looked right. Like, she didn't quite get the eyes right or something. Um, She, like, painted a picture of their dad that looks, like, really bad. So she's got lots of, like, kitschy, DIY, crafty-type things. that's what Louise
1: Louise essentially tries to one-up her brother because her brother just wants to go in and rip everything out and sell the house and make as much money as he can louise is like oh no mark i have to go through and i have to inventory every single piece of art and her mom has hundreds of dolls hundreds of puppets they have a she has a whole workroom of this stuff that she's like i have to go through all of that
0: yeah and it's this is a, a like almost a lifetime of puppetry and things like this that their mom made because they were pretty poor when they got married and then they had louise and then they had mark and sh- they didn't have a tv so their mom used to tell them these like stories like she used to make up stories about the tiki two woods and the tick-tock tree and the bone orchard and there was like a girl sparrow and the inside-out man, and the hero of all of these was a hand puppet named Pupkin.
1: Yes, and so I guess I don't want to get too, too bogged down into the plot. So basically, as Louise and Mark come to kind of a tentative standstill where she's going to go through the house and inventory this stuff, and then he wants to get it ready to sell— well, every time she goes into the house by herself, bad and weird stuff happens. So the second time she goes in, she is attacked by the squirrel nativity, uh, the taxidermied squirrels, and let me tell you, that is awful. Yeah, there's like,
0: I got I have it like marked where it's at. The she's like sleeping. She takes a nap. Like, she's already been kind of freaked out by Pupkin and has, like, tried to throw him in the garbage a couple times
1: because he's just, like, a, a gross old hand puppet. And he's just described as just being so kind of creepy looking, like, not really endearing, but just kind of creepy. It's
0: Yeah, and he's a glove puppet. So it's, like, where you put your whole hand inside and then, like, your fingers are, like, his fingers and your other fingers go in his head. And then he has these, like, little dangly legs that are attached. And... She, like, she played with him when she was little. She got freaked out by him. She doesn't want him anymore. She keeps seeing it, like, move in other places, and she thinks it's Mark screwing with her. She, like, throws him in the garbage at one point, and it comes back. And when the squirrels, she wakes up from this dream, and the squirrels are, like, alive, and there's a description of her, like, stomping on one of them. Uh, And it's it's uh, so gross. Like... Louise picked up her bare foot and brought her heel down hard on its dry skull. She felt it snap like a nutshell through the sole of her foot. It jerked and spasmed for an instant, trying to pull its crushed skull out from under her heel, then went still. She yanked her foot away and looked at the front half of the squirrel's dry, empty husk and caved in skull. And then she turned, leaned over the sink, and opened up her mouth to throw up. (laughs) Which is exactly how I would respond.
1: Uh, Yes, yes. She first thinks that Mark's messing with her, and then she comes to realize that it's not Mark. And she she does try to make a truce with him, and they both come in the house, and they do something called Pizza Chinese. I love
0: the idea of Pizza Chinese. Um,
1: I love the idea, too, but I'm like, that's too much food. <laughs> like, it's way too much food.
0: It reminds me of, like, appetizers for dinner, though, which is, like, yes. a very comforting yes. thing.
1: I, yes. my, I think I've talked about that frequently. We do appetizers for dinner at my house. But the idea is that they have pizza Chinese, which is where they order pizza and Chinese food. And it was them sitting at the dinner table. And then at that point, weird stuff happens to both of them in the house.
0: And. Prior to this Mercy, their cousin is going to sell their house. And she straight up tells them, like, y'all, your house is haunted. Uh, I know it sounds weird. Listen, I have I move houses. I had trouble moving them because weird stuff was going on. I just had my mom go in. She's all churched up. She, like, got rid of them. If you want her to come and, like, cleanse your house, we can do it. And so this Pizza Chinese is kind of, like, a means of, like, Louise." Trying to slowly get Mark to come to her side of things, and he is 100% like, Yeah, it's haunted, it's mom and dad, we can't cleanse the house. That's rude, Mm -hmm. they're still here, clearly, they have unfinished business. And Louise is like, Or there's a logical explanation for this, and there's and she's like, It's squirrels in the attic, (laughs) yeah, they're like, (laughs) The attic is like nailed shut, and so she's clearly like. Dad had squirrels up there. He nailed it shut. That's probably when he hurt his ankle. And, like, there's probably an accident because he was, like, trying to cover it up. And that's when he, like, got hurt and Mom took him to the hospital.
1: So they so they go through and um, they have actually, like, this spooky thing happen to both of them. Um, and then Mark leaves, but he doesn't actually go very far. Um, and then this is where... I would say the most horrifying scene well you know what I won't say it's the most horrifying scene but it is the most body horror scene <laughs> uh well, I think that happens
0: be- before that there's also some backstory of oh, what yes. happened when they were children yes
1: um which is also a very upsetting scene I won't say that's horrifying but you find out that Louise did like pumpkin Pupkin when she was a small child, and she took her brother outside um in a backyard. It was their backyard. She took some outside to a backyard they're, that had frozen. Yeah, like,
0: they're like at their parents' yeah. like friend's house yes. or something like that, and, and they're
1: playing outside. And she and he's a, like a toddler, and Mark is like enamored with his sister, and she takes him with she has pumpkin on her hand and they go outside and like an icy North Carolina like winter and they go on this ice to ice skate um and he falls in the lake (laughs) that they're ice skating on and she doesn't go after him to save him. Pumpkin tells her to just come back inside. Pumpkin
0: is also the one who told them to go outside. Yes. Like at this point, she was realizing that Pumpkin was kind of making her do bad things. Yes. He like told her to like like he would tell her like, "Oh, well like go push Mark over cuz that'd be really funny." And she'd like knock him over and then you know, he would tell her to like kick people or things like that. And then he essentially tells her like, "Let him go out on the ice." And then it's like, let's go inside. Pupkin's bored now. And so she went back inside and sat in the house and didn't tell anyone for a really long time until they realized that
1: Mark's just missing. Yeah. So he's like, you don't remember like basically letting me drown? And she's like, I didn't let you drown.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And he's just like, that's why mom and dad are here. Because you have to be honest about what you did. And he doesn't believe. Her, he thinks she's just like still trying to lie about it, but she has like repressed this memory of it. And he's like, "Well, you tried to kill me," and she's like, "No, I didn't. Pupkin did." (laughs) And so she buried Pupkin in the yard then because she's like, "He's there's something wrong with this puppet. I'm a child and I know this." Uh
1: so then Mark, after this disastrous dinner. Um, which it sounded like delicious at first. And then Grady Hendrix does a great job of making it sound as unappealing as possible, like congealing, like orange chicken. I'm like, ugh, ugh. But Mark leaves and leaves Louise in the house. And he tells her like, if there's something weird in the house, you should get out. And then she's like, she doesn't leave, though. Well, he goes
0: in the bathroom before he leaves, too. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that part. And the Mark and Louise dolls were sitting on the other side of the toilet, and then on the wall, written in red lipstick, is Mark Come Home, but it's spelled K-O-M-H-O-M. So it's like a child wrote it. Yes. And so she thinks that Mark is screwing with her, and Mark thinks that Louise is screwing with her. Or with him. Yeah. Yeah, with him. And so, they, you know, like, every, like, horror movie and every horror book, instead of concentrating on the, like, something messed up is happening, it turns into them arguing again. Like, you always do this. And then that's when he's, like, I'm going to leave. I was, like, trying to help you. And she's just, like, you know what? Screw you. Just leave. Come back in the morning. Like, bring me Starbucks. And then... Like, we're going to call a realtor that's not Mercy and we're going to get this place sold.
1: So she so she's there by herself and um, she essentially is a She
0: Yeah, she has like a kind of fitful night of sleeping and it's like describing how like one foot was cold and she was like, oh, it was hanging out of the bed. And she pulled it back under the covers, which obviously because that's how the monsters get you. And then... She, she was like having nightmares about like Poppy being there and bad things happening. And so she wakes up and she's like, oh, it's just a dream. And she realizes that the door to the bedroom is open and she absolutely closed it. And then uh, it's so like the description of it. He's like something on the other side of the room, something low to the floor inhaled quick. Wet and thick. Something alive was in the room with her, and she immediately is like, I put the garbage bag on top of the garbage can. The squirrels couldn't get out. I closed the bathroom door so it's not the Louise and the Mark dolls. I put the chair under the knob. And then when she sits up, it's Pupkin, and she hears him in her head, You left me all alone. You left me behind. You tried to forget about me. You left me in the dark.
1: So um, <laughs> she is attacked essentially by Pupkin. Yeah. And
0: he like trap, like he tricks her. He drags the chair in the hall. So she trips when she
1: runs. Yes. And he takes one of his, one of Louise's mom's sewing needles and jams it into her eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross. Um, And that part is, it is described. It is it's- visceral. It is, i hate
0: i hate this but it's so well written it's instinctively she blinked and her eyelid folded in two in a way it had never folded in her life like it had a pin sticking out of its middle and it couldn't close all the way it's uh, and the i can't do eye stuff no no
1: eye stuff eye stuff and horror is always terrible and so then you're just picturing this god-awful puppet doing it to you and you're just like oh my god all my nightmares are happening it's happening right now so
0: and then it's like describing him like running at her yes it's like this tiny tiny little thing
1: with like little spindly legs are chasing after you it is horrifying And and then who comes to her rescue but then mark comes to her rescue and he uh, he is described as having a gun prior to that, and she's like, "That's weird that you have a gun." But he brings it and he shoots Pumpkin.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like repeatedly shoots him. Like yes. they describe the shredded puppet fabric like
1: blowing up into the air, which is so madcap and wild to think about that you're just like, "Like that's silly." Yeah. Um. So you had like probably one of the scariest body horror moments of the book happening topped with like something so violent and silly. And then they like
0: flee the house and it's like describing them like swerving through traffic and yes. like, he, pull, he like spins into like a parking spot and is like checking her. She's like, pull over, I'm blind. I'm Take blind. me to the emergency room.
1: And he's just like, you're fine. And then they reconvene at the Waffle House. Of course,
0: because where else would you go but the Waffle House? Yes. I feel
1: like honestly,
0: if I were in a horror movie, I would like want the Waffle House staff on my team because we could survive anything.
1: Yes. Yeah. I want
0: that girl that like threw the chair like <laughs> nobody is messing with us. No.
1: And they're open 24/7. It just feels like a nice beacon of like
0: And if I could still like- eat dairy, man, cheese grits would be so
1: comforting. Yes. <laughs> Even if I had a needle stuck in my eye. So essentially this is this is the part of the book where oh. they have while they're at the waffle house
0: there is just like a really funny like this is another like very grady hendrix line that's in there where the waitress is like like what's going on with you two and he's just like oh we're having like a really rough night my sister's having a bad night her parents just died and the waitress is like oh i'm sorry well if you want we got a methodist minister who comes in every morning around four thirty and he'll pray with just about anyone <laughs>
1: so we dive into this reprieve of you know mark's like all right i gotta tell you like because she's like pumpkin did this and he he clearly saw Pupkin, pumpkin and he's like thank god i have a gun and thank god i believe in our second amendment rights and i'm just like this is so crazy but i like it was like, yeah, thank, thank you, Mark, thank you for, and he's like, and thank God, I just didn't feel good about this, so I, I sat in my truck and I went back in. I heard you screaming, so like, yes, thank goodness he was like right there. But then he gets, he dives into his background, which this is probably the weirdest part of the book, yeah, uh, as like an aside from the main plot, um, and he talks about his background with puppets and how he's connected to his mother. And his connection with Pupkin. Yeah. Uh, And so he talks about. He essentially talks about. Just kind of his background. With Pupkin. And how he. The reason he like dropped out of school. Louise thought he was always just like this. Like perpetual screw up. And then you find out no. There was like a very specific reason why he dropped out. And it was because he got into like. Gorilla puppeteering. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is not a. I feel like I ever was going to say out loud
0: yeah the descriptions of those puppet shows are like wild too like the first one is like he just randomly finds them and it's like a puppet that keeps trying to fly and like keeps just like crashing back to earth and he's describing there's like kids watching and the parents are like "Mm, like what's happening here And finally, the last time, like, it doesn't get back up again. And he's just the last person watching it. And he's just like, I've never seen, like, puppets done like this before.
1: And it's the way the description of the gorilla puppetry group is happening is they're just so... It's like, it made me uneasy because I'm a very, like... I I don't know I just it made me very uneasy I don't know it reminds me
0: I was a theater major and it reminds me of like the theater kids that like I could not stand like they took it entirely too seriously Mm -hmm. and they thought that like everything they were doing was like making some big statement and it was like art and if you didn't get it then you just weren't smart enough oh oh yeah and I was like oh I hate you like get over yourselves And that's yeah, that's that's the vibe I got from them was like you just don't understand.
1: So essentially, he joins this gorilla puppetry group, and then he asks his mom to send him pupkin. And he explains that in this puppetry group, you become the puppet, and so they become. Pumpkin and they like destroy houses and they like vandalize things and they, they wake up covered in like feces and like vomit and just it's gross. Yeah, they're
0: like going into these weird like fugue states almost where they don't entirely remember everything that they did when they were pumpkin.
1: And it culminates in they were kicked out by like a principal at a school because they did a performance at a school that was not appropriate and they didn't get paid so as like revenge they go to this house of this principal that kicked them out and they they burn the house down and he's like i don't know if that principal ever made it out alive or not then you get kind of this idea that like Pupkins is like evil character yeah. that has to be stopped. So this book turns from like creepy stuff happening in the house to now like, oh, it's just Pupkin. Like Pupkin's the ringleader, right? This is the part in like horror stories where you're like, yes, main characters, do your your movie montage of getting everything ready. Yeah, like let's do this. There's
0: and that's that whole Mark's backstory section is the bargaining section of the book. And there is a line in there about um, like how like their mom's puppets always said, like, love me, look at me. And he's like, these guys made puppets that wanted to be hated. And I think that is like a great ex, like the beginnings of his realization of like, oh, man, like puppets are not all great and lovely and here for children and story time like puppets are conduits for whoever is using them and sometimes those are very bad people
1: right and these puppets were these puppets were allowing people essentially like they blamed pupkin for like these terrible things they were doing and so and as like a reader and that's something like I was thinking about I'm like how how do you separate that because it's art right like puppetry is a type of art so and you know we talk about separating like the art from the artist but like if you're a puppet if you're the puppet master so to say um not to reference that B movie <laughs> but if you're a puppet master if you're the one handling the puppet like yes you are becoming that puppet character however you're still a person handling the puppet like yes jim henson jim henson created kermit and jim henson created miss piggy and like miss piggy let's be honest kind of rude right like that's kind of her whole shtick um and like animal animal is animal and he's like wild and crazy and you know animal and he plays drums but at the same time like yeah where's
0: the line where is it like an exploration of something and when is it an excuse to do something and yes. try to take the blame off yourself. Yes.
1: Very much so. And you know, that's that's a very interesting part in horror that you don't always see um you know, in like child's play like you literally have like this doll, Chucky, like this this, you know, uh buddy buddy doll, you have him um essentially Picked out because uh, Charles Charles Lee Ray was like running away from getting shot, and he was like, "I know voodoo," which is like you know cultural appropriation, but we'll you know another day for that. But he essentially puts his soul, his evil serial killer soul, into a child's toy. It's a so crux to get into another another time, another story. Yes. So he does that. And this toy is able to do these terrible things because it's still, it's still the guy in a toy's body, right? So, different, right? That's different. But this, like, if you take that puppet off, like, if I were wearing a puppet and I were to, like, to slap you, like, that's still me slapping you. I take that off, you're gonna be like, Beth, why the heck did you slap me? (laughs) Right,
0: right. But then you have the other side of that where it is like they don't totally remember the things they did. Right. So then the question becomes like who is actually like controlling? Is the puppeteer controlling?
1: Or is the puppet controlling? Yes. And that's a whole element of horror that you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt as the reader and make up your mind of how you see that because it's the implications of that is terrifying yeah it it gets into kind of possession right
0: yeah which i don't love i have control issues it's the one part of horror that britta does not go into britta doesn't watch possession things and
1: as this almost is like a possession yeah almost so anyways um they get into that aside, and they decide to go to aunt gail who's with jesus and (laughs) they're like all right aunt gail and and they Aunt Gail, when she gets to the house, has some, like, uh, they they think at first that the house needs cleanse, that it's, like, a demonic type thing, or that it's, like, a demonic type thing, mm-hmm. and they realize that it's not that, and then she has to call in back up.
0: Barb, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a whole section um, post Mark's background where they decide to go, like, check out what's in the attic and decide that maybe they just need to get rid of Pupkin and they're like game planning how to do that. And they're like, well, maybe we could like burn him, but we got to go find him first. And then when they're up in the attic,
1: after they get back from the waffle house, he's gone. Yeah.
0: Which is hard when you know that you like blew him to pieces. He was like puppet fluff. And now all of a sudden he's not there anymore. So they go up in the attic. Um, and then we are introduced to spider who is mark's childhood imaginary friend which did you have an imaginary friend when you were a kid
1: i did not but i blame that on having so many siblings mm. that like i just never needed to have an additional i, I think i wanted an imaginary friend because like i would see tv shows and i'm like that sounds so cool and i'm like that's because I played like with my siblings and I'd play like we'd always play house or something like Uh. that and I was like I'm always making up stories anyways for these like social dynamics and I'm like I don't have time to make up um, a consistent imaginary friend
0: (laughs) I had one I I do have an older brother but we're 10 years apart so while I'm the youngest child I also have a lot of like only child (laughs) issues because like we were so far apart in age that like we didn't really play together. I mean, by the time I was like old enough to know how to like do anything, he was a teenager. Like he didn't want to hang out with his little sister. And so like I was uh, I was alone a lot as a kid and I just like learned to entertain myself. But I had an imaginary friend, but they were never like people. It was always just, like I had an imaginary dog because I wanted a dog so bad. And I remember like the one was like, a, I would like imagine like I had a Doberman Pinscher <laughs> and it would like sleep on the floor next to my bed every night. So, like, Spider um, was, like, a little bit weirdly close to home in that, (laughs) Uh, because, like, Spider is sort of a dog, but he's also, like, not a dog. He's also kind of a spider, but he's also imaginary, so nobody has ever really seen him except for Mark. Right. Um, And apparently he's just been hanging out in the attic this whole time since Mark's childhood. Pupkin has kind of lured them up there as a trap with Spider, so... Um, That whole part is pretty terrifying. But I also love that they're describing, like, all the random junk in their attic. Like, the rollerblades and stuff like that.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, it's anybody's attic. Yeah.
0: He'd he'd grown up and left his imaginary playmate behind. Over the years, they'd forgotten all about Spider. Pupkin hadn't. (laughs) Uh. So, yeah. There's, like, a whole... That's, like, a pretty horrific scene, then, where Pupkin kind of gets the upper hand not that's like a pun but i don't mean it as a pun he he sort of manipulates mark into putting him on and then mark attacks louise with a hammer as
1: pupkin louise so throughout this entire story i am always afraid for her because i am taking mental note of the damage louise is my god like she is scratched up from the squirrels like she trips and falls hard with pumpkin yeah she gets bashed in the head multiple times yeah uh, it's with like this des- hammer it's like
0: describing one part when she stands up he's talking about how it feels like her knee is like full of broken glass because it's like her dislocated back just
1: makes a bunch of like
0: <laughs> noises she's like slurring because she's been hit in the head and so i'm just like
1: how are you alive <laughs>
0: She's tough. She's the final girl. That's right. She's got the final girl
1: energy. <laughs>
0: so she keeps telling Mark, like she's trying to get through to Mark. She keeps telling him to like take Pumpkin off or she is going to take him off. They end up in the garage, which is where all of Mark's stuff to build a deck is and to like fix up the house. Yeah. So there's like lumber. There's like some rickety shelves full of stuff. There is a table saw or like a handsaw yeah. that's like electric. Maybe I should read it to them. <laughs> If you've read it, you already know where I'm going with this. And if you haven't read it, well, this is your own fault because you haven't read it. (laughs) So they're they're in the garage. She sees the saw on the floor. And she kind of, like, looks at Mark. And he looks at her. And they have that, like, sort of unspoken, like, are we really going to do this? I guess we're going to do it. And so... She grabs the circular saw and he says, do it. And Pupkin is like screaming his stupid catchphrase of "kakawiiwi," which is just the most ridiculous. I,
1: in my head. Well, the way I in my head, it was always "kakawiiwi." Yeah. And I was like, this is terrifying. I am imagining
0: like, like Pupkin's voice is that like little kid of like the like, like really high pitched childlike pronunciations of things. So it's like if, like, a two-year-old was, like, brutally attacking you. Right. And she turns on the saw, and (laughs) she is aiming for the infinity tattoo on Mark's right forearm. And it says, before she could stop herself, she brought the saw down in the middle of the infinity's arc. It went in fast, like there was nothing there. Like, it was cutting air. And everything around her misted red, and Louise's face went hot. "'Then it hit Bone, his radius,' her Girl Scout brain told her, "'and the intolerable screeching of the saw went up an octave "'to an ear-shredding yell, like the drill of a dentist's office. "'The saw juddered and shook in her hands, "'burning vibrations trying to force her palms open, "'trying to make her let go "'as she pushed the spinning blade through Mark's radius.' thick gobbets of fat splattered her face and knuckles and she was screaming and felt hard grains of bone dust settle on her tongue and she pressed her lips together and tasted her brother's blood oh god so she straight up cuts her brother's arm off and then pumpkin is still alive on his hand which just makes me think of like in a like what is it? Is it pirates of the caribbean where like the skeleton hand is like crawling after like the eyeballs and stuff like that
1: I mean, I feel like that's a good horror, like, trope, too, is, like, I just think of, like, evil, like, Evil Dead. And, yeah. Because they use stop motion animation in that. And, like, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole thing with uh, Bruce Campbell cutting off his hand and. and replacing it with a chainsaw, yes. right? Or a yes, shotgun. Uh, a chainsaw. Okay. Yes. And the, and there's just so many, like, comedic elements to that afterwards of, like, the hand just, like, like, shh because it's bad it's evil so it's gonna do bad things
0: yeah so she does manage to get mark to the hospital he lives he is clearly down a hand
1: my favorite aside from that is after like it's all he gets like mad at her why do you have to cut through my infinity tattoo i'm like
0: (laughs) he also (laughs) tries to turn it around and be like i
1: didn't mean for you to cut off my freaking hand louise and she's like you told me to do it and i'm just like mark of all the things that you could be upset about right now the infinity the the stupid terrible tattoo you have is what you're upset about you
0: cut the head off of the dolphin jumping over the moon like get out of here mark but louise uh goes home she torches pumpkin we think that like we're good she's gonna be over but then you look at how much of the book is left and you're like oh (laughs) and it starts the depression section which is apt because it opens with like mark grieving his missing arm um louise is like everything's kind of like settled like we'll sell the house we'll figure it out um i think mark is like look i'm gonna give you like some of the money
1: it, yeah, he's kind of settled down. they they've gone through these traumatic things together. So um you you as the reader like something is probably not all right because things are too smooth right now.
0: right. And uh, they part like he he like d- he's depressed, which is fine. Um, I would be depressed too if I like suddenly had to learn how to live without one of on my hands. And so Louise goes home. He doesn't even say bye at the airport. He, like, texts her that he's sick and he's not showing up. And she goes home to sort of, like, sort out her her life with her daughter and her ex, who Poppy has been having a hard time. Like, before everything went down in South Carolina, she was FaceTiming with Louise. And she was like, I don't want to have a birthday because when I get older, you and daddy are going to die. Yeah, so
1: she is having a hard time with death, which is interesting because it mirrors kind of how her mother is like dealing and not dealing with death
0: yeah and i think she was like regressing she was like wetting the bed again and she starts talking like a baby and she's like older than that baby talk phase of life
1: yeah she's like five or six so she's like too old to be doing that right
0: so she gets home and ian is there with poppy and he's kind of like well let me you know like let me be here with you and like take care of you and We'll figure things out.
1: Yeah, like, hits on her, which is... He's so gross. gross. <laughs> like,
0: but when she, the room, buddy. Yeah, when she comes home, she, like, opens the door and is like, Poppy, I'm home. And she's, like, expecting, like, Poppy to be, like, coloring or, like, maybe, like, she made a cute, like, welcome home mommy card or something like that. And instead, what she finds is... Poppy in her room, standing in the middle of the floor with something on her hand, and she turns around and yells, Kakaweewee! How do dee do? And Popkin is like on her hand, waving at Louise.
1: So essentially, while Louise was gone, uh, she said she dreamt it. Poppy said she dreamt it. She dreamt of Pumpkin and uh she like made it with ian's mom She made it with ian's mom and she ian's mom was like she finally like took a turn for the better so like we wanted her to keep pupkin because like she seemed to be doing okay with it so louisa's are like oh this is not good and so immediately red flags are raised
0: yeah and she like i mean she tries to rip it off poppy's arm and, like, leaves bruises on her yes. arm. And all Ian is seeing is, like, whoa, like, you're freaking out. You just hurt our child. Like, this is going to look really... We're going to keep her home from school, like, because this is going to look really bad. And she's going to tell people that, like, you did this. Like, clearly right. you're grieving. Like, we got some stuff to figure out.
1: And she's just trying to think, like, how do I get rid of this? Right. And so I, she, calls her, she calls her brother. And essentially she's told, like... You, you and Poppy need to come back to to South Carolina. Yeah, like there's a
0: really good line in there, too. I, I gotta find it. But he's like... Because some things have happened. Like, uh, Poppy keeps... She's, like, looking sick. She's, like, losing energy. It's mm-hmm. clear that, like, this is sort of draining her. Life her life yes. And then she's also, like, she's violent. And she, like, almost burns their apartment down. Mm-hmm. And so it's clearly escalating. And she calls Mark and he's like, you got to bring her home. And she's like, I got to get this off my kid. And he says, like, don't try to cut it off, okay?" (laughs) And she's like, never. He's like, well, don't say never. (laughs) You you (laughs) cut my arm off. (laughs) And that was just that made me really chuckle. But the whole trip back, like, Poppy is just like a menace. Like, she won't take it off to go through security. And they're like... About to get kicked out of the airport. And yes. she's just, she lies and she's like, listen, her dad just died. She's having a hard time processing. Can she just get like a pat down?
1: And like, she's like
0: kicking people. I think she like trips a stewardess yes. on the plane. And she's she keeps screaming like, caca wee-wee.
1: Every, every terrible thing you can think that happens with kids on airplanes, which is like every parent's worst nightmare because you can't, you can't control what kids are going to do. Even if you think you can, you can't. Not really. And every terrible thing that she could think of happens on this airplane. So she's just like, Ugh, When she finally gets, like... <laughs> yeah. To, she finally so, gets to Mark. The next
0: time you're on a plane and there's a child acting horribly, just, you know, remember they might be possessed by a puppet. So it's not their fault. <laughs> I also love when Mark picks them up from the airport and... Pumpkin's like here a chop, there a chop, everywhere a marquee chop, <laughs> and he's just like mm.
1: so. And essentially, so even though Poppy is like Poppy is holding Pumpkin, it's not actually Poppy. So no. the rest of the story is really like when you say Pumpkin, you just have to picture like Pumpkin and Poppy are essentially the same person.
0: Yeah, and the what they've sussed out is that. What Pupkin wants is Nancy. And he doesn't understand that Nancy is gone. So she's like, All right, well, if you come with me, we'll get you back to Nancy. And that's essentially how they are working with Pupkin at this point. And then that's when they are like We need Aunt Gail, we need your like psychic yes, medium we assistance. Need your,
1: we need your backup. So Aunt Gail is like, I'm gonna also pull she pulls in another person who that's what they do. Uh I
0: love barb too and i love that she's she keeps talking about like (laughs) we're gonna blast that devil puppet back to hell and like talks about sending these demonic spirits back and i love the description of barb's like front yard when they go to meet her this is like aunt gail's friend that um that's what they do they just like hang out on the weekend and get rid of like demonic spirits and stuff
1: could you imagine just being BFFs and being like, what do you want to do today? I'm really down with Jesus, so let's go blast some, like, demons out of here. It's
0: like, well, I would love to go and get some, like, brunch. And then after brunch, we got to go to the Millers because, you know, they got that demonic presence in their house. And so we got to blast that sucker straight back to hell. And then, you know, maybe we could do a little shopping afterwards. Like, <laughs>
1: just light, you know, just light yeah, stuff. So yeah, so they,
0: um, Barb lives in a trailer park. And it's like a gray trailer (laughs) and they pull up and there's stone deer behind a chain link fence and behind them sat laughing concrete leprechauns, a St. Francis of Assisi with a bluebird on one finger, a concrete wishing well with the word hope painted on its side, two Jesuses praying in the garden of Gethsemane, a flock of pink flamingos still wearing Santa hats and wreaths around their neck, a three foot tall Sasquatch caught mid stride looking over one shoulder a little girl bending to smell the flowers and showing her concrete underpants, an orchard of multicolored pinwheels spinning madly in the breeze, three reflecting orbs on pedestals, half a dozen concrete chipmunks and painted snails, and a birdbath with a pedestal made of raccoons standing on each other's shoulders. So I want all of this. So
1: like essentially <laughs> any concrete thing you could think of to put in your front yard, she, she has. I don't
0: need like the religious things and I don't need the flamingos, but I will take all the rest of it
1: so they go in and immediately they do try to start like they give exact like what we're supposed to do and they think it's going to be like a demon in this puppet and they quickly figure out that it's it's not a demon they're like oh no you're like actually haunted and when they find out that they're actually haunted like they they tell her like you have to find who is like this ghost because it's clearly not their parents, they're like, well, dang, because that would have been a really nice, easy way to wrap all this up. And unfortunately, Poppy is like suffering because of this. Like, she she is further de- deteriorating.
0: They do. It's like not really an exorcism. She calls it like, uh, trace, face, and erase. <laughs> and they get Popkin to essentially. She like tricks him with some candy because mm-hmm. she's like, oh, he's like a little kid. Kids love candy, and gets him to explain have you always been Pupkin? and he like shakes his head and she's like well what did your name used to be and he says Freddie. and they're like well, f- what freddy krueger like who is this who is Freddie? we don't know any freddy except they do know a freddy right
1: they do know a freddy so then louise they decide to go um visit aunt honey be- because aunt honey is aunt gail's mom and would be essentially their grandma's sister So, like, she would know the most about Freddie, Right. Um,
0: Which, as a reminder, is Nancy's brother, who passed away when he was really young. So... The, The wrench in this, though, is that while Louise and Poppy were flying back, Aunt Honey has gone into the hospital. Yes.
1: So, Louise takes Poppy into the hospital and... They try to confront Aunt Gail, or not Aunt Gail, <laughs> Aunt Honey. And Aunt Honey is doing this generational thing where she doesn't want to talk about it. And she's being so frustrating. And like, as a reader, you're just like, Aunt Honey, Mark lost a limb over this. Yeah. Get over yourself. You need to talk about it.
0: And the, the story has always been Uncle Freddy died of Lockjaw. That's it. That's all they've ever been told. And even now, she's like your grandparents took them up to Columbia and they stayed at a Howard Johnson's and they were playing around the pool and he stepped on a rusty nail and he got locked on. He died. And she's like, this is bullshit. Aunt honey, which is why aunt honey is, a, she's a fugly skank. Whatever they say in mean girls, I don't like aunt honey. Just, you could have saved so much time taking your own advice. Say what you mean to say. Don't sugarcoat things. Right. Don't hide the truth.
1: Right. And especially like sh- they eventually do get it out of Aunt Honey that Nancy was supposed to- So Nancy is a small child. Um, she's like seven or eight. I think she's not very old. Yeah. She's and seven. She's, and she's watching her brother Freddie by the pool and she goes to get like ice cream and looks away from Freddie and Freddie drowns. I have already issues with this because I'm like so you let two small children in a pool unsupervised and then expected this slightly older child to t- take care of this younger child. What? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like it's a terrible and, and it's a terrible accident and then you find out that her mother never got over the death of Freddie. And, like, they didn't blame Nancy, but they blamed Nancy. Like, they shipped her off, essentially, to other relatives to live because yeah. they couldn't face her. That's probably the most devastating part of this book. is that, that, And that's the heart of this book, is that you have this terrible family secret and accident and this guilt. And so you have this, this mother, Nancy, who grows up with this guilt forever. And then is kind of transformed by this guilt and it carries on because that trauma is never talked about so and and it's performative because then it's passed down to to mark and louise and and then for something to happen to mark that is like exactly the same it's it's just so upsetting yeah and and it's like This is why you have to talk about trauma. This is why you have to go through the stages of grief. This is why you have to do these things. So you live like a happy and healthy life.
0: (laughs) Right. You have to
1: process things. You can't just
0: push them all the way down until they explode
1: out of you later. (laughs) But we also find out... So the house that they're trying to sell um, is... Nancy's house. She inherited it, but it's actually Nancy's parents' house, and they buried Freddie in the backyard.
0: Yeah, they um they kind of like put this together because Aunt Honey is like still pushing them like don't sell the house, but they they don't get it right away. Like they, there's some weird stuff happening as they leave the hospital. Like Mark is like spiders here. He's in the back of the truck. I don't know what's going on, and she's like, we got bigger fish to fry like poppy's like opening the door while they're driving on a bridge and trying <laughs> to leave so out scary. <laughs> and then like she runs out of the car into traffic and like there's it's like a mess and then they get home and they're like all right we gotta figure out where the f freddie is and they're they're trying to think about it and i think it's like mark who realizes that there has always been this like cypress tree or something in the backyard that like the yard has always been a disaster. They didn't do well, like landscaping it or maintaining it. They just didn't
1: seem like very good homeowners. is n- What I I gathered from all yeah, of yeah.
0: And so they like were always told like don't like don't go around the tree, like don't mess around with stuff. And she was like, well, yeah, that's like really the only place. Like they didn't ever tell us like you can't play anywhere except like stay away from the tree when you're outside in the backyard. That's got to be it. But <clears throat> before they can go. And straight up... Dig up Freddy. Mm-hmm. pumpkin,
1: A pumpkin... Star- yeah, so they... <laughs> they are attacked by... As as you may remember, there was a whole workroom of puppets. Yeah, And they are attacked by essentially what is con- called a wall of puppets. Yeah, it's
0: like a puppet golem.
1: And <laughs> Spider is called upon by actually by louise after being attacked like louise was attacked by spider previously mm-hmm. um spider is called upon by louise to attack the golem as she's like digging and so you're just imagining this amalgam of hundreds of creepy puppets yeah like shouting like pupkins, like "cocka wee wee yeah as- i'm
0: imagining like the um like the titans from the beginning of like the disney hercules when they're like like killed yes. destroyed yes. it's like uh other direction and they're like okay killed yes but it's
1: like a huge
0: thing of like doll's heads sticking out one way and like sock puppets and
1: like yes and so she's like okay. digging with her hands frantically and, and
0: spiders helping her dig yes
1: and eventually louise finds freddie yes And she talks to Pupkin as, like, because she realizes that Pupkin is Freddie, And it is, it is, honestly, I was like, I did not want to have any good feelings towards Pupkin. But when you realize that it's the spirit of a little deceased boy, a little brother, who's just, who has been with Nancy this entire time. And Nancy has essentially been taking care of her little brother this entire time. It's so upsetting and it made me tear up and I was like, "Granny Hendrix, why are you making, why are you making me cry? I don't need to cry.
0: Yeah. And so she, she has the sort of like ghost whisper moment of like, like you'll be okay. You'll be safe. You can, you can just like go and you're going to be okay. And you can find Nancy and you're going to be all right. You don't have to be scared, pumpkin. And so Freddie, like, does his little crossing over sort of and they're finally (laughs) rid of the pumpkin entity and poppy poppy is okay at the very end when they're sort of like okay you know like the house is like pretty much done like it's probably gonna sell quick do you want to come and like say goodbye to the house because this is like you know a few months later some some time has passed um i think mark had to like have more of his arm removed because of like some of the stuff that happened with the puppet golem and he's like not coping with it very well and they're um they're at the like cemetery talking because is it oh no it's uncle freddie's funeral they have like an actual funeral funeral for for uncle freddie okay um and so like poppy's thriving she's playing with her cousins it's wonderful and mark's like doing this nice thing of like look louise like if you want to come see the house like one last time like this is probably your chance and she's like okay like i just don't want things to be bad for poppy i almost died you almost died you lost your arm and they go back and like the energy is totally different and they're in the kitchen and she says like something smelled beyond the paint and the new carpet something hot and toasted and she wondered if mark had left the oven on or if he was doing that thing where he staged a house by baking cookies but the guy wasn't coming until next week so she inhaled and it smelled stronger and it was the smell of baking Specifically, the smell of Stalin baking, which is something that their dad would always bake. Like, their mom couldn't cook for crap. Like, she cooked really weird things, but their dad was like a phenomenal baker. And so she takes it as this, like, sign from dad that, like, it's like, it's good. We're good. Freddie's good. You guys are going to be okay.
1: So, Grady Hendrix essentially puts you through the gamut of all the stages of grief. Um, and th- for a book that has such a creepy premise dealing with puppets and all that stuff i i think this book actually has some of the most heart in a, a horror book that i have read as of recently where you just really are getting into like the depth and the details of these characters where you you fully empathize with them
0: i think and i think you have to like go through the gamut of them being such siblings and like one is crappy and then the other one is crappy and like neither of them are great to each other and neither of them is completely innocent but like that makes them so real
1: for you to like be so
0: invested in what happens to them
1: right thank you guys for listening uh through our analysis of this book and as well as our uh toy and puppet and doll asides And uh, we hope that you enjoyed listening to us and come back and listen to us talk about some Halloween movies. And uh, once again, this is the Lake Erie Library and you can catch us on uh, where podcasts are available. And you can find us on Instagram at Lake Erie Library. Thank you again and happy fall and stay spooky, friends.